Welcome to the next installment of the Farzad Misbahi podcast. Uh, today, I have the the man, the myth, the legend himself, Emmett Peppers. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, yeah. Farzad, for the kind intro. More like uh, the lucky uh, SOB to <laughs> the uh, Tesla options, uh, right? And, the, you know, and, and some other stuff just right in the last couple of years. So, yeah. Thanks. I think... I think there's probably some so very good method uh, to the madness there, but but yeah, absolutely. Uh, Emmet is the um, is the the founder, correct, uh, it, of a uh, good yes. soil investment, right? Yeah, um, good soil investment management. Yeah, awesome. And uh, he's been uh, part of the sort of the, the Tesla YouTube community here for the last at least year. I think I think really the the first place where I came across you was uh, the interview with Dave Lee, uh, if I mm -hmm. if I if I remember correctly. Um, and I'm I'm curious, like. You know, if we go back three years or, you know, three to five years ago to today, mm -hmm. did you picture this happening? Like, how does this fit within your <laughs> sort of like where you imagined your life going? I'm curious to hear. Yeah, that's a good question. Up until those initial interviews with Dave Lee, uh, I was working at Interactive Brokers in prime brokerage sales, you know, for the last 10 or 12 years. And um, so I, I couldn't really uh go you know talk publicly about my personal investing obviously i was a registered rep and uh, you know uh so I, I you know as much as i wanted to be part of dave lee's channel or i've known dave for like 10 years and we've talked on the forums and such and uh, i couldn't do it so as soon as tesla hit a certain level where i was like i could retire from my job and as soon as i put my official resignation in he had me scheduled for that first interview we did and kind of kicked off my you know my Tesla Twitterverse stardom, I guess, to whatever degree it is now, you know, there's lots of us out there, you know, it's fun. Uh, sure. But uh, it's, I didn't picture that type of, um, you know, Tesla tribe, social media, Twitterverse kind of banding together in the future. But three to five years ago, I did sort of picture Tesla hitting, you know, 500 billion market cap, maybe, you know, um, but not a trillion so quickly, you know, mm -hmm. which is great, uh, obviously. So I did sort of envision Tesla getting to hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap, you know, oh. by by this time. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been really fascinating seeing that growth. So, so you've been following Tesla like since 10 years ago from the forums, like Tesla Motors Club and everything like that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I've been following it, uh, uh, since 2011, you know, for we'll, real quick rundown on my story for anyone who hasn't, you yeah. know, seen Please. me talk about it before 2010 or 2011, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine at interactive brokers who worked in it, we had offices near each other. We would talk about like the latest iPhone and I was always into new tech and stuff. And somehow, uh, some, somehow, um, one second, sorry, no spam call here. <laughs> Let me just put on no, do not disturb. <laughs> I hate the, the the spam calls that you know I get these days. Anyway, so ten years ago, um, he had read about or I had read about like the Tesla car coming to a local department store on Greenwich Avenue in Greenwich, Connecticut, to be demoed or just to be looked at. And we love new technology, and you know I guess we researched it or read an article about it previously, and we we said all right, let's meet there Saturday uh, afternoon. And so we went over there and. We were both like sat down. You couldn't drive. It was a prototype Model S. They had a roadster out back there giving test drives in that I had at the end. But mm -hmm. the prototype Model S is what I really fell in love with. Like I sat in it and that giant touchscreen mm -hmm. was like obvious. It was like, and I was playing with the software, so responsive. I was like, this software, you could just tell the software was like the iPhone software mm -hmm. or something. It was just so 
good, you know, and well-designed. An actual car itself looked nice and the technology nuances were incredible. And mm. um, I just fell in love with it and started researching it. You know, my curiosity really peaked and both him and I both started researching it like crazy. We started buying, you know, long-term options in Tesla. The first round of options expired worthless, but then we did it again in 2012 and those turned into a huge winners in 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. We, uh, yeah, yes. So I made my first, like, Turned my first, made my first million basically in 2013 on some crazy Tesla options with like a five thousand or ten thousand dollar investment. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so that was like a you know it wasn't enough to retire early you know uh, right. because I had ki- a kid on the way and such and it wasn't enough to retire early at that time. Uh, but I was determined to keep investing in Tesla with that uh, money yeah. and buying a lot of long term options. And as we many people realize from 2013 to 2019. You know the Tesla market cap or stock price kind of languished between like you know thirty and forty or thirty and fifty billion. It didn't really jump to the hundreds of billions until two thousand nineteen, right? Mm-hmm. But I had kept envisioning like, hey, this thing, this Model S is amazing, best car out there. The Model Three is kicking off. That's obviously to me going to be a big success. I don't know why the market's not seeing it yet. So I kept buying these long term options, and they would expire worthless. So my million dollar winnings dwindled down to like. 500,000 or 400,000 or maybe less, I don't know, over time. Mm. But then by 2019, I was really set up well and it ripped and my personal fortune, you know, got into tens of millions, you know, pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, I was able to retire and and do my own thing. That is so awesome, man. That's such a great story. And, and so the one thing you touched on is the, 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 that sort of gap of knowledge that seemed to exist between retail and like everybody else. It seemed like that's where a lot of the opportunity came uh, from for you. Do you feel like do you feel like that still exists today in 2022? Do you still see that wide of a gap of of sort of knowledge or understanding of what Tesla's future could look like? Is it evolving? I'm I'm curious to hear your take on that. Yeah, I think it's evolving, and I think um, there you know the, the longer the story plays out with Tesla, the more bullish, the more I can see around. I feel like I can see around the corner of what's in store for it. Like hmm. more recently in the last year or two, I've been going, you know, I've been going on the record more saying Tesla is going to be the biggest company in the world. Hmm. Uh, you know, and Elon said that too recently, and I know other Tesla bulls believe that you know vehemently as well. I also think Tesla, the stock will be the greatest stock of all time. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be widely accepted by the end of this decade. I mean, lots of us might probably already starting to believe this. Yep. But I think um, they're, they're, the story is evolving quickly now. Um, technology is sort of, a, you know, one of the big, I think, beliefs I have is technology is accelerating faster than people real, most people realize. You know, like the rate of change from 2000 to 2010 I'm sure that seemed fast for that time, but the rate of change from 2020 to 2030 is going to seem is going to be much much faster, you know. And Tesla is sort of at the forefront of a lot of that with regards to real world AI with neural their neural networks and uh, robotics, you know, the semi autonomous robots, basically their cars and the Tesla bot coming about the energy paradigm shift. So there's there's a lot of stuff coming around for Tesla that's really exciting and going to make them, I think, the largest company of all time. So one trillion seems big, but uh, you know, multiple trillions of market cap, I think, is around the corner. Yeah, I agree with you 100. percent I think that, like, for me, the way the way I think about Tesla is like, I I, there, I think there are some analogies around like Model Three ramp back in 2016, 2017, and Tesla's profitability to like the whole full self driving story. Like, I still feel like. Yeah. There's quite a bit of doubt, and especially in like the 
I guess like, you know, the regular Wall Street, I'm not a finance guy, but like the way I think about it is like, like if you talk to most people and, and you go to them, at least from my experience, you know, they, and you tell them, hey, this thing's going to drive itself in a few years. You know, I don't know if it's next year or five years from now, but it should be able to drive itself uh, to the point where you don't have to um, sort of do anything. It's that yeah. usual response. No way. This is not going to happen. You know, it's that it's <laughs> yeah. like that sort of very no one's going to want to do that. Yeah. People just turn knee jerk like, no, I changed that change isn't going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And then they look back and they see, well, Tesla's already gone up to a trillion. It can't keep going up. You know, it's like that sort of like reasoning yeah. by analogy kind of process. That's so interesting. And and yeah. what what's really what really blew my mind. So like you. So when you and I were were checking up yesterday to confirm you'd sent me this uh, link to a Twitter space uh, for Tesla Q. And I went in there uh, and it was one of the most fascinating things I've ever experienced in my life. And I, you know, I don't want to discredit another human being saying, you know, blah, blah, they don't know what they're talking about. But at the same time, it was very, very fascinating seeing what sort of, um, uh, I guess, reasons or variables the other side of the coin is really focused on. And it seems mm-hmm. like they're really just focused hardcore on, well, Tesla, Elon's a fraudster. It's just a yeah. fraud, you know? <laughs> What's your take on that? Because I'm really curious, like, is, does Tesla Q have any, like, how can something like this happen? And I'm not saying Elon is a perfect person. Who knows? There might be a 0.00001% chance they're right. But like, I'm curious, yeah. like, from a psychology standpoint, like, how, how does this happen? Do you have any takes on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, People form a belief too early a lot of times prior to investigation of the actual underlying thing they're forming a belief on. Mm-hmm. And so maybe early on, some of these folks were very easily swayed into thinking Elon's a fraudster when it the case, you know, could have appeared that way. You know, if someone's new to Elon and Tesla story like five or seven years ago, they're bleeding cash headlines are like they're about to go bankrupt, blah, blah, blah. So if someone could have more easily been like new to Tesla and Elon could have easily been swayed by the wrong people, I think, early on <laughs> to believe that, hey, Elon is a fraud. I'm going to shorten this thing. This thing's going down, you know? <laughs> and so once you kind of dig, I feel like the human nature is once you kind of dig your heels in on a belief system that you're sort of forming your worldview on around that industry or topic, it's very hard to reverse out of it and kind of like, you know, reinvent yourself and your reinvent your assumptions that you have built into that belief. So, you know, I, I've struggled with myself with all kinds of things in personal living or whatever, not just investing, obviously, but you know, to be aware of it is very hard even, you know, and, and so these people, you know, you see it with the flat earth society people, they, that's the extreme version, you know, like, uh, but they believe it. They truly believe in it, you know? And, and um, so now you have sort of something similar going on with Elon's a fraudster, Tesla's, you know, vaporware and all this stuff, but sooner or later, it's going to become more of an extreme, you know, more and more people, though, those people will somehow come to terms. um, I would think. Um, And if not, they're just going to always kind of be a conspiracy, you know, seen as a conspiracy theorist by most other people, I think. So, yeah, it's just a human nature thing. Like it's very hard for us to like re re, you know, think our whole assumption model for a belief system we have in place. I don't know. That's yeah. at a high level of what I'm thinking, but it, you know, it's not like they're, they're not like necessarily personally an evil person or anything. Like part of me wants to think like this person is evil. Like they think that, you know, mm. but I don't think that's the case. I have to be empathetic and be like, you know, there's probably things I'm 
I'm in my life somewhere where I'm super wrong, even though I believe it strongly. And yeah, you know, and uh, this is just one of those things those people are, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I agree with you 100%. And so when, when you think about your own investment thesis and like how you approach investing, like how often does that pop into your head? It's like how, like the whole, you know, I don't want to be Tesla cute, right? Like that's the thing. Yeah. If, if I'm comparing myself, like how often does that pop into your head and what sort of tools and methods do you use to ensure that you're not going down that path? I love Twitter. Uh, my pinned tweet on my Twitter kind of has a mini thread on how I do it with Twitter, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, I love to follow the opposite viewpoints of what I believe, you know, and try mm -hmm. to tolerate it as best I can. Um, you know, I did that more recently with like Bitcoin, for example. I'm, I've been an early Bitcoin investor. I own mm -hmm. Bitcoin since 2011 or 12, just a small amount at the time. Or at the time, it was a lot of money to me, but now it's worth a lot, obviously. I've held mm -hmm. it. But mm -hmm. uh, so I've been a pro Bitcoin believer from the beginning. And more recently, I've like tried to look at the other side and I, you know, parts of it is like, you know, maybe there, maybe like being a Bitcoin maximalist is a little bit delusional in some ways, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, like the energy consumption concerns could be real, you know, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So like, I try to follow people who, you know, are complaining about that versus people who are Bitcoin maximalists, which is already all over my Twitter feed anyway. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, whatever it is, I try to follow Tesla Q people and I try to find, you know, a certain amount of them and a lot of them have me blocked. <laughs> I was <laughs> I just going to say, I try to yeah. follow them and like 99% yeah. of them, I can't even. <laughs> it's like Occasionally blocked, like, there's what? like a podcast, you know, like there's yeah. one guy called Quoth the Raven, I remember. That was his podcast name, Quoth the Raven. Okay. Q-U-O-T-H. But he's done a number of podcast interviews with Tesla bears, like well-known Tesla bears i think he did one like with montana skeptic once and mm. he's done it with like a couple other people and i've listened to them and um those people sound very intelligent sometimes mm. and can make like if you're coming into the situation not knowing anything about tesla it can make a very compelling case of why tesla is could be a fraud or whatever the next enron you know so it's just good to try to take as much information as i can from all sides all perspectives yeah to be able to form my own and uh, that seems to be you know there's, there's there's many ways to look at the same thing. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Do you, do you think anybody can do that? Do you, so do you feel like everybody can be a good investor or do you think it's a, like, is it, is it a personality thing? Curious to hear your take on that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think anyone could be, you know, could do it uh, if they practiced at it and like consciously really like made an effort to do it. I think it's very hard for some people though. Um, you know, I know some people that it feels like it must be close to impossible to kind of get them to, to you know, really see everyone else's view. But it's really, in the end of the day, it's about empathy and just being able to put yourself in other people's shoes and imagine why they're thinking the way they are about a certain thing. And then, you know, just really try to get in their mindset, like psychologically, mm -hmm. you know. And so the more empathetic I think I can be in whatever application of life the better I can apply it to investing as well, you know, and that's been really helpful to me, um, you know, and, you know, I, I like to see the long and the short case for a stock that I'm investing in, for example, or, you know, so I, it's not just two, sometimes it's not just two, two views. Sometimes there's lots of different views. Like with Tesla, we're discovering, you know, there's lots of different bull case views with Tesla. The bulls right. disagree often of one view versus another bull case view, you know, and same with the bears and, so you just gotta, I feel like it's great to just explore as many different views as possible um, to try to figure out what makes the most sense to me. Yeah. I mean, do you do something like that with your, you've been investing in Tesla for a long time. How, how did yeah. you come to conviction? Yeah. For me, great question. Like for me, it's, 
back in, so I discovered it back in 2012 through the, the Tesla Motors Club. And um, it was because, you know, I wanted to start dabbling in, in investing, right? And, yeah. and the thing that really, and, and I had zero investing experience. It's just something I was trying to dabble in. So you could say a lot of my sort of success with Tesla is probably mostly luck, to be completely honest. But I think, I think one of the things that really stuck out to me was it seemed so obvious, like the outcome seems so obvious. If if that chance of success was high enough, it was a no brainer investment, right? And then, yeah. and there just seemed to be a huge dissonance between the people that were really huge fans of the company and those that didn't know anything about it. Like those that knew about yeah. it were so sold on it. And the thing that really sold me it were Dave's posts back on TMC, so his mega threads, where there yeah. was a math behind it. I mean, it wasn't just yeah. like, oh, this is the greatest company ever. Elon's a genius. It's like, this is yeah. why this is going to work out. If they hit a certain volume level, if their margins are at this level and they're able to enter new markets and blah, 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 then Tesla has a, a huge potential to grow. And then once that initial 2013 run-up went, you know, when the first uh, quarter, or the first profitable quarter was posted, then I, I really started researching a lot more into it. And it seemed like the long-term potential of the company seemed unlimited in a way because of that sort of uh, the leadership of Elon and uh, the risks that Tesla is willing to make from uh, you know building products from scratch without having to reason by analogies. That's sort of like, hey, let's kind of come out with brand new products that make a lot of sense that are going to you know, eventually solve core issues for humanity, I guess, if you, if you think about it that way. So yeah. that, that dissonance really was the, the primary driver for me. And that's how I try to like, um, invest from now on. And I mean, Tesla is by far my largest holding, but it's, I'm trying to apply that same sort of, uh, technique is like, where, where are the opportunities where from a math perspective, if, if the company executes, it looks like a home run and nobody knows about it, but that's like, yeah, it's really hard to find those things. And I don't spend too much time doing it, but like, uh, how, how, I mean, is that well, I, I well, question for you is yeah. what was your hand? I'm curious. What was your handle on Tesla Motor Club before? Maybe I re would remember to recognize Farziness. I do remember yeah. your handle. Yeah. I was, I don't know if you remember, I didn't post a whole lot, but I, occasionally I'd go through post. It was Tesla T S L A O P T. Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. 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 And then I had to change it to Tesla O P T number one, because my first one got banned for arguing. <laughs> for the, I was arguing for the pro pros of Falcon wing doors with some people and some threads <laughs> and someone complained and I got banned for indefinitely. Yeah. 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 Um, later on, I got unbanned. I don't know. I mean, Tesla motor club forum was a great resource. Oh I God. mean, you know, it was uh, incredible, but, yeah, I mean, I remember your handle too. Yeah, you yeah. had some great posts from time to time. And I remember yeah. after the 2013 run-up, uh, maybe we'll find that Dave's posted it a couple times uh, here and there, and you know, I, maybe on Twitter even. I don't know, but uh, mm -hmm. there was a 2013 video we did, or I think it was early 2014. We did the video of uh, he, he was. It was like the first. It was like early YouTube video, or it was a. It was like a Google Meet, like recorded. I think of I remember Dave, that. Like ten years ago, interviewing me, and I was like under the code name alias Tesla Op because I couldn't reveal who my name was yeah, because yeah. I was working, and I put my hat on, so it was hard to recognize me. But <laughs> we were basically talking about my uh, Tesla option returns, and and there was like four or five other people on there talking about their returns, and it was just a fun like early yeah you know Tesla community YouTube stream of uh, and Dave looks younger. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> we should put that in the in the details section. We should. I'll definitely one. add that. Let me make a note of that to make sure I, I post that. I'm sure Dave's yeah. going to love that. I'm surprised awesome. we didn't get you involved in that. Yeah, I, would, I mean, I was very like, you know, I, I was the, the way, you know, I, I don't have the chops that you guys have from a financial background. You know, like one of those things is like for me, 
it, it's more I try to reason I try to reason more from like I just very basic in my thinking. It's just does it seem like a very huge opportunity? Yes. Go ahead and, yeah. and get into it. And that's how I approach really my life in general. You know, that's that's and I try to apply that for investing. So my and I learned my investing whatever knowledge I have through those forums. And I was able to apply all those different variables to yeah. to different investments, you know, whatever, real estate or whatever you want. It's a very core set of like um, lessons or skills that are very transferable, I feel like in, in investing. So um, sure. But yeah, a TMC was just such a, it was such a unique, weird place because it's just, there was a gold mine after gold mine and like nuggets of information that like I oftentimes was like, how does no one know about this? Like it, <laughs> it blew my mind. Like I yeah, was like, it, yeah. it shocked me to a point, but yeah. I'm so glad I found it. And it, it was because of you and Dave and everybody else that it was in the community doing the work and really talking about the opportunities and why Tesla is such a huge, you know, such a huge thing going forward. It, it made it possible for so many retail investors. It's almost like, like, do you think that TMC is like, like the the reason like one of the reasons why retail investors have so much more power now is like communities like that that drove it i'm curious to hear that like yeah how do you think about i that? think so i mean there were, reddit would have filled the void if not tmc and there was tesla had its own like the forums uh, right hosted forums at one yeah. point and i would go in there occasionally um and there was like some other but tmc was like the main one and hmm. uh I think, yeah, that type of congregation online of uh, retail investors, and we've seen it more recently with uh, Wall Street bets and these like sure. <laughs> uh, meme stock craziness, I think, in some degree. So yeah. um, it's it's really fascinating to see it evolve. Uh, and it's huge, you know, without the TMC forms, I had my friend in IT, and we talked to each other almost every other day mm -hmm. at work about Tesla and why it's, you know, we'd kind of reinforce each other's belief system, even when stock was down 10% one day or whatever, and it was yeah. stressful. Um, so that was helpful. But without the online forums to like research and really help further my conviction in the face of fear of the stock getting crushed by like 50% from its highs, you yeah. know, in a matter of weeks or whatever it was, you know, if I was all alone, yeah. I don't know if I could have held on, you know, so the forums allow you to kind of keep that conviction and trust in your beliefs of like, Hey, I am right. This is just noise. Tesla will be big in the future. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. That's such a good point you just made. I would have sold, I would have sold, I think probably during that sort of model three ramp, you know, where the stock yeah. was just getting completely destroyed. Oh, yeah. I would have been, I, I think, I really think I would have been out because it was just so much. And it would have been right before I joined Tesla too. Cause you know, oh. I think they, they, they really started the ramp in what 2016 ish it was released 2017 i think the model 3 or this 2016 i yeah. can't remember the exact date but it was around that time and yeah. uh yeah it, it it would have been it would have been weird and what's what's crazy is that not you know tmc sort of helped me you know step off the ledge and then joining yeah. tesla like made my conviction go like completely through the roof i was like yeah this is this is this is going to totally yeah. going to happen so it was it was very fascinating yeah. what a cool what a yeah. cool thing so do you view so like, you know, things like Robinhood now, I feel like are like an extension of that a little bit. The way I think about it is like you're allowing the retail investor to become more and more involved. And, you know, those folks typically have their own ways of researching, um, you know, stocks and all that stuff. Do you feel like that's a net positive or a net negative or neutral to the invest investment community? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Like the whole I think it's definitely network. net positive. Net, yeah. Definitely net positive. I think people, the more people learn about investing and how the capital markets work, the better, you know, yeah. and in the past, 
people would just give money to their financial advisor, their 401k would just go into mutual funds and mutual funds would be like fund of funds of other mutual funds. And there'd just be fees upon fees. And, yeah. you know, institutional Wall Street is the establishment is just collecting, you know, they're just making fees and fees and fees. Yeah. And now I think there's more transparency. Research is open sourced. You know, you can see like, quote unquote, sell side research is kind of like, you know, just from Tesla, it's like ridiculous. It's like a, a dog and it's like a clown show in some mm. respects, you know, it's like, they're really just appeasing their institutional clients who call them for ideas to get trade, you know, so they, they're not, you know, there's just a lot of conflicts of interest or, you know, um, biases. And I think the, the, the best is the open source research you can get from like really good, Twitter handles, you know, yeah. now, I mean, 10 years ago, you couldn't find anything about Tesla on Twitter, you know, like I would search occasionally and once in a while, Elon would post and it would be cool. But, yeah. uh, you know, like there was not many, there was hardly any analysis you couldn't find on, there was no specialty Tesla analysts on Twitter, like retail people talking about it, you know, now it's like all over the place. It's great. Yeah. Um, and you have it for like all kinds of stocks, you know, small, all kinds of stocks. So it's, I think it's really good, but people have to also be extra careful because there's a lot of like, you know, uh, not only scams with like the initial coin offerings with crypto these days uh, and such and NFTs, mm -hmm. but in the, in the stock world, you know, like even though stocks are regulated and exchange traded and such more secure, but you have a lot of bad research too. a lot mm -hmm. of people, you know, trying to become research analysts that might have, you know, very bad information or just be completely wrong, you know, on things. And yeah. um, so sometimes we don't even know what that, who those people are. It takes right. time to figure it out, you know, so you just have to really see all different sides and make your own decisions and kind of take responsibility, but you have the tools to take responsibility now, whereas before those tools were not really available. Yeah. Great points. How do you see it evolving in the next 10 years, the sort of like retail investor sort of phenomenon? What do you, have you thought about that? Like if you fast forward 10 years, what it looks like? That's a great question. Um, I think ETFs are going to become a bigger part of, uh, the investment world, um, we already see, you know, Bitcoin is close to having a spot, you know, Bitcoin spot ETF. And I think that could open the door for other crypto spot ETFs, for example. So, you know, I think that the and sorry, I meant for so spot ETF. Can you define that for me real quick? Yeah. So a, there is a Bitcoin ETF now, but it's, it's an ETF is an exchange traded fund. It's like a ticker you type in, you can buy and sell like a stock on your, on your brokerage system or brokerage account. So a Bitcoin, a, a spot Bitcoin ETF is basically an ETF that buys and sells Bitcoin on the open market, you know, hmm. at the current Bitcoin prices. There's already a Bitcoin futures ETF that was recently approved. And that's pretty, pretty close, but there's all these extra costs embedded in buying Bitcoin futures and rolling them over next month and such. So you can get exposure to Bitcoin through an ETF now with the Bitcoin futures ETF, but it's a little more costly. Um, I think when the spot Bitcoin ETF comes out and there'll be like a spot Ethereum ETF and maybe you'll open the floodgates for all kinds of ETFs are really exploding and they're really replacing mutual funds Got and it. maybe even hedge funds in the future to a large degree. So I think in the future, you know, you'll have stock pickers still. You'll still have retail people like you and me kind of researching ourselves, forums or t Twitter, or whatever the next Twitter is, mm -hmm. if there is a next Twitter, you know, YouTube channel analysis on different stocks. And we'll pick a few that we like. And, and then you'll have like uh, the people that want to just give their money to other people um, or, uh, you know, or indexes. 
And um, then you'll have like the people that want to, you know, and that, those there'll be ETFs for that as well. Like mm. Kathy Wood's ARK investment ETF or just the S&P 500 ETF or whatever. Um, but then you'll have a whole broad range of ETFs for specific niches, like a NFT ETF or, mm. you know, a Bored Apes NFT ETF, even like that type of niche, maybe. You know, obviously a Bitcoin ETF is in the near future, you know, and you have maybe an ETF for like venture capital for batteries or something like, I don't know. I think there'll be, I think in 10 years, I'm hoping the regulations with ETFs will get knocked down where you'll have that capability for a huge variety of ETFs uh, where you can easily, it's more secure. I think in my mind, people think it's more secure, more accessible. If you can buy and sell in your, in your, you know, Robinhood or Schwab or Fidelity or Interactive Brokers account, something, you know, you don't have to have like 10 different things. Maybe Coinbase will be, you know, have, have a securities register, you know, securities account capabilities by then too, obviously. And not only can you buy and sell crypto, but you can buy ETFs of crypto and Coinbase. And Mm -hmm. I think there's some security in, in, in having an ETF that holds Bitcoin versus holding Bitcoin itself, because there's insurance embedded in the ETF, you know, in case, it gets lost or something. Whereas if you hold the actual, you know, Bitcoin itself, it's a lot less secure. There's not really insurance for you if it's hacked, you know, I don't know. There's just interesting, I think reasons why I think ETFs could be a big part of the future too. That's very interesting. So would that, would those ETFs would still have to be, would they still have to be created by organizations? Can an individual create an ETF in the future? Like how, how would that look? Yeah. So you have to, I mean, ETFs are created by financial companies, registered financial companies, um, but there's like ETF outfit. There's like companies out there. Um, I think one's called like a friend of mine set one up called like Alpha ETF or Alpha Architect is the name of his firm, but I think they created like an ETF building service. So basically mm-hmm. you could just like Farzad, you could talk to them and say, Hey, I want to set up an ETF in my favorite stocks I have a big YouTube following and they're want to invest with me. They'd probably walk you through a few things to get yourself registered with the you know SEC or whatever needs to be done. Wouldn't be impossible. It would take a little bit of time, and maybe mm-hmm. then you have to agree to like a couple hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars a year of ongoing costs to keep it going. But mm-hmm. then basically, you're just a portfolio manager, a basket of stocks, and all your followers could buy far like the ticker. You know, it could be your initials or whatever. You yeah. know, on the open exchange and there's a small man, a fee of whatever you decide. Some of the ETFs have, you know, five basis points, or maybe they have a hundred basis points or whatever as an annual Interesting. fee and uh, to administer and keep it going and, you know, make pay for expenses or whatever. So okay. I think there, there's a big movement towards ETFs going on in institutional finance, especially now. And I think that really yeah. favors the retail investors. Okay. The first thing that came into my mind when I thought about my own ETF, my, my wife likes to call me farts hard. That's her like little like, so like fart would be my ticker. I think that's how I would call it. That's it probably already stand out. Yeah, you probably have to probably. buy it. You know, some, some already bought all the tickers up that make worms and you have to like buy them from other people probably. Man, it's like a domain. Like you, you have to go for- It is, it is. My it is, God, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to shift gears towards your 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 uh, your fund. So the good soul. Uh, um, I'm curious, like you know, since you've started it. So like when I think about um, managing my own funds, I I put a lot of pressure on myself to like ensure that I'm building a good future for you know alongside my wife for our family. You know, taking care of the people that we need to take care of. But like yeah. now, you are not just taking care of your own stuff. Now you're taking. I'm assuming other people's money are you know they're coming into your fund like what yeah 
can you walk me through what that pressure feels like? Do you feel any pressure? I'm just like the psychology yeah. of it. I'm, I'm very curious to hear because like, I'm already freaking out about my own money. Then yeah, I'm trying to put myself in your head. I'm like, man, like walk <laughs> me through that. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure. The way we set up the fund is it's about, I don't know, 20% of my personal net worth in the fund itself. The other, you know, 70, 80% of my net worth is mostly in Tesla stock and a few other things more, you know, that are stable somewhat, you know, the fund is very high risk. It does a lot of risky investing in stocks with options and such. Mm -hmm. And so when we take on investment, when Matt and I, my partner, Matt and I take on new investors, we always make sure to let them know we don't, we, we require this to be no more than 10% of your personal net worth to invest in our fund, because we want to be able to sleep at night. Like you said, our fund is actually built to be risky. It's built to be the risky portion of someone's portfolio or mm. diversification process, you know? And um, so if someone wants, sometimes people are like, oh, I want to give you all my money. And it's like, no way, no mm -hmm. way. We even have our hedge fund administrator, who's like a third party has to like, you know, be the agent between us, the investors. They verify that it's not more than 10% of the investor's net worth that they're, you know, investing with to meet our minimums. So at least knowing that helps me sleep at night a little bit. Still a lot of pressure when we see our fund to go up or down, you know, 10 or 20% in a single day. Occasionally it's kind of really, you know, yeah. <laughs> really, I mean, that's how we position our fund <laughs> is to be risky. So, yeah, I had an incredible year in 2020. That was just my personal funds when it was an incubator fund. Um, but that type of return, I think it was like 13,000% return or something in one year. Oh. That's, you know, it was crazy. That was my personal funds. I started with a yeah. hundred thousand and went to like 13 million or whatever. And it, that that was a lot of options with like, you know, uh, buying put options on the index right before the COVID crash, buying lots of long-term call options on Tesla before that and then after that, and then other mm. growth stocks at the bottom, long-term options. Anyway, the, the returns in 2020 were incredible, but that type of return will never happen again. And so I would make sure to let investors know, like we're regressed, we're definitely being regressed to the mean. Mm. 2021, we just got a performance. I think we were up like around 20% for the year, which we're happy with because we actually sort of benchmark ourselves internally to the ARK investment, you know, flagship fund because we play in the same sandbox of growth and mm. and tech stocks they do. But it's very volatile. Like at the end of November, I think we were up like 80% on the year. <laughs> yeah. And then we ended the year only up 20% after December, right? So our fund can go way back and forth. It's very up and down. Um, we think we should beat the S&P 500. We expect to beat the S&P 500 over the medium and long term, but anything can happen, you know, it's very risky. And so that's why we don't let more than 10% of someone's net worth go into our fund. Smart. Very, very smart. Is this the first uh, business you've, you've created or helped create? Yes, this is uh, the first business I've founded and created. That's right. I've had ideas in the past, never followed through with any of them, but uh, this is the first one where I, you know, and I thought long and hard about this. I almost mm. didn't do it. You know, I, I had a dream when I worked at Interactive Brokers, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I thought Tesla could get to like a few hundred billion in market cap. And I'd calculate, oh, if it gets to like three or 500 billion market cap, I'll have like 5 million or 10 million. I could retire and mm -hmm. start my own hedge fund, you know, at that point. Because a lot of, I, I serviced a lot of startup hedge funds when I was a prime broker salesperson. I saw lots of Goldman Sachs executives leave or just high net worth people try to start a hedge fund. Doctors, you know, mm -hmm. want to start a hedge fund with a few million bucks or whatever. So, I was in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I know it works. I know how to get it going. I'll, I'd love to do that, try it myself. Even though most of them fail, like the restaurant industry, most of them fail within mm -hmm. a couple of years or a few years. They don't really do that well. 
I always wanted to give it a shot, you know? And so I always envision when I get to like the five or 10 million net worth, I could retire from my job and try to start a hedge fund with a few million bucks of my own money. Mm. And then when my net worth shot up in 2020, you know, exponentially a few orders of magnitude, then it was like, oh, I have more than enough money for me and my family that we'll ever need. I'm not interested in starting a hedge fund anymore to make money, you know? Mm. And so I kind of, and also at the same time, I felt like the world could be ending with this COVID craziness. You know, it was like... (laughs) No one knew. We're all kind of locked in our houses, trying to wash our groceries before we bring them inside and all this craziness. And um, so I really had to pray about it and think hard about it. And uh, finally came to the conclusion, like, if I do have some God-given talent to have incredible returns, I should use it for more than my personal wealth and try to do something good with it. And the good soil investment management came to mind when I was reading something called the parable of the sower from uh, my Bible study class. And mm. the seed that falls on the good soil has like a hundred times return or whatever. And that's like, I was like, Oh, that's like my, my investing uh, results occasion occasionally in certain years. And mm. so, uh, so yeah, I started good soil investment management with the idea to change, to do something good with it, where I'm kind of changed. We changed our fee structure so that half of the fees net of expenses goes to charity. So we have the similar uh, fee structures of every other hedge fund, two and 20, it's called 2% management fee and 20% performance fee. But half of that after expenses go to charity. Wow. It's, put into our, it's written into our prospectus. You know, it's like a, a law of the fund, you know? And so my, our dream is to be successful enough where it inspires maybe more managers, more hedge fund managers to, to start something similar where ESG has become a huge investing theme over the last 10 years, yeah. maybe giving back and altruistic capitalism can become a big theme mm. because I think capitalism, ultimately capitalism needs to evolve and uh, socialism is not the right way. Uh, and I think I'm in, I'm afraid we're heading that direction, yeah. uh, especially amongst younger voters coming to age. Uh, being sucked into some of those ideologies. And so maybe if they can see capitalism as being more giving back um, yeah. and not so greedy, then maybe we can prevent the kind of uh, uh, too too much of a radical change to socialism. That's yeah. my higher goal. That's what keeps me going every day. That's amazing, man. I'm so happy you exist. <laughs> That's so <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, there's there's other people trying to do another similar altruistic capitalism yeah, things. Yeah. Like we were just, my partner and I were just talking about. Have you heard of the the Bitcoin or crypto exchange FTX? I've heard of it, but I'm not I'm not familiar okay. with it. Yeah, it's like Coinbase, but FTX is I think even more dominant internationally than okay. Coinbase. Coinbase is like the U.S. central Bitcoin. But FTX letters FTX. This guy Sam Brinkman Friedman is like a genius. He's like one of those in, like generational founders in finance or something. Like if you listen to his interviews, he's just like super smart, knows what he's talking about, mm. but he's really got a huge altruistic capitalism component to his business, which is fascinating. So I think if you get more, more people that become really successful, you know, putting this in as part of their business, then uh, hopefully that help can, can help evolve capitalism so that, you know, the most successful in capitalism can do more than just pay taxes, you know, yeah. actually imprint giving back as part of our success in a, in a, in a kind of more significant way. Yeah, that's amazing, man. So I, so I, I 100% agree with you. And that's one thing that, that I think with more people having, so like technology, the internet and stuff like that has enabled people like yourself. And, you know, I, you know, Dave with his uh, Afghanistan food relief fund that he raised, you know, $450,000. Like that's another example where I'm like, oh my God, like people that have uh, uh, some, a little bit of influence and also capital to build 
uh, some something where they can help other people willingly seems to be, have become a, a little bit more of a trend, uh, at least as of late. But I'm curious, do you think like, do you think we have everything that we need from a society perspective to move capitalism to, towards that goal? Or do you think other things have to happen? Because I, I shared that with you uh, a lot. I like, I really hope that's where we're going with capitalism. But like, do you feel like there are missing variables in society for us to get there? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think one of the missing variables is uh, a lack of trust or skepticism with people that are in a position to give money um, in that, you know, you don't want to just, if you're giving away your money that you worked to earn, you know, like you don't necessarily want to just give it to anyone who's going to knock at your door asking for money, like any charity, because you know, there's some of them, I don't know, but a proportion of them are kind of not scams, but just like, they maybe use most of the funds to further their own personal, you know, lifestyle and only a small percentage of it goes to the actual cause, you know, for mm. example. So I think there's some of that. Um, and I think there's the perception of that, at least that hurts. I think uh, if we can get over that hump and figure out better ways to, to give um, that people trust, I, I would think that there should be, you know, more capital freed up to be given. Yeah. Um, but I think that some of the traps that are like, I, you know, we set up a foundation ourselves as part of the fund. And before even I, I set up the fund, a little foundation um, that we're using as a vehicle to give money from. But I think, you know, really wealthy folks that set up these foundations, the foundations can quickly become their own kind of bureaucratic trap where it's like, you know, you have a team of people running the foundation or an organization, like whether it's a Bill Gates foundation or whatever it is, like some of these foundations can have so much capital, but they're so like big and clunky, they can't act quickly on like the Afghanistan food thing. Like they yeah. have the foundation set up, you know, like it's just, you know, they can't give, they can't just give, they have all these guidelines and check boxes to check before they can give money to something. And somehow that just is uh i think causing to a lot of friction so if we can somehow eliminate some of that friction and so i mean it's there for a good reason right you don't want to just give money to any so-called foundation right you, you need to find some way to to cut through that friction so that money can be moved quickly right. to the actual needy yeah folks. yeah that's a, that's a great point. And like, so when you say trust and that, that makes a lot of sense to me that the one fear I have, or maybe, maybe it's like the point of inflection, but trust seems like at an all time low in society. Um, yeah. like, especially with the stuff that's happening with news media, you know, whatever mainstream media it's like, and, and the thing that really blew my mind is like, once I really got familiar with Tesla and I started following Tesla in the mainstream media, I'm like, nobody really knows what the hell they're talking about. Like what else do they not know what they're talking about? Right. So like, that that trust factor like I, and i don't know if it's me getting older and getting more familiar with that stuff or it's a point of like an all-time low when it comes to to our society and do we need to reach that point uh for it to sort of reverse and go towards that future that you just described right um yeah. i agree with you 100 percent. it's such a weird time that we're in so it's weird yeah, yeah. Like one thing I just discovered recently about giving is uh, there was a guy who did, I can't remember his name, gave a TED talk, well-known guy. He set up like some big breast cancer um, awareness foundation, I believe, that brought it, ended up bringing in like hundreds of millions of dollars, some astronomical amount, right? But he gave the story about how initially 
it was uh, he, he had like a fifty thousand dollar amount grant to like, and he could have given the whole fifty thousand to the breast cancer, but instead he allocated like thirty thousand or sixty percent to marketing the effort, you know, and so that's seen as like overhead, you know, but the overhead marketing ultimately led to the pie growing much and much bigger mm. to where he had like a hundred million dollars. Mm. And even if like $30 million of it was for marketing, at least there was now $70 million to be given, you know? Um, so it wasn't, you know, it was an interesting case he made that sometimes, for example, we look at overhead of a foundation. We're like, Oh, don't give that. There's too much overhead that's going to the people's lifestyles or whatever. But sometimes overhead can be used to just grow the pie bigger for that effort, you know? And there's just, it was just opened my eyes up, like to look at yeah. giving, like, foundations and charities that, you know, I think most people kind of look at, have certain ideas where like, oh, if there's too much overhead in that foundation, automatically to me means that they're not efficient use of capital. I don't want right. to give to that. You know? Yeah. But the interesting point there is like, I, I tend to think, so Pareto rule, so 80-20, like maybe 20% of those funds that have high overhead actually are growing that pie, whereas 80% yeah. are not. Right. So yeah, it's true. That's yeah. like, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to go back to one of the comments you made earlier about starting your fund. So you said uh, during the COVID time and like you saw everything going crazy, like, you know, that was seemed to be one of the catalysts. If if COVID never happened, do you see yourself where you are with this fund? You think it would have happened anyway? Uh, that's a great question. I never thought about it. Um, I mean, if COVID never happened, I'm not sure Tesla would be as high as it is right now. I think there was a lot of like shift to tech stock, more awareness brought to Tesla as it grew really fast. I mean, Tesla might, in my mind, be like that few hundred billion dollar market company right now, but still growing, you know, still have the runway ahead of it itself, obviously, but it might just advance a little faster, quicker than it otherwise would have because of the COVID crash and then rebound after mm -hmm. a lot of tech stocks mm -hmm. in particular. So, um, I, my personal net worth would not be, you know, nearly as high in many respects. I probably uh, would have still left my job after a certain net worth level by that time. But yeah, I'm not sure I would have started. A, that's a great question. I'm not sure I would have started a good soil investment management. It might have been called like Pepper's Capital Management or something. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, so that's a, a great question. Yeah, okay. I awesome. Interesting. Interesting. So I'm thankful. And maybe in some way I have more reflect on it. Maybe I should become, if depending on how successful this gets, I could find a way to be thankful for COVID. So. Yeah. You're a very smart guy. I'm sure it's going to kick ass, man. It's going to, it's going to do great. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, and that's one thing, like that's some of the, like with the whole COVID deal. And I, and I try to think about this a lot, obviously it brought a lot of despair and there's, we're still reeling from a lot of it, but I'm curious, like how many silver linings there are out there from, from the whole period that has, enabled i don't want to call it the next generation but like sort of the sort of the things some of the things that are happening now where, where folks had time to reflect and make decisions based on that you know potentially terrible time for their families and whatever to build their next 20 40 years you know yeah. and and that's that's something i think about a lot and I, you know i think i think your fund is an example of that it sounds like you know potentially me yeah. me making the decisions to move on with with my passions and everything covid was a huge part of that because it really forced yeah. me to reflect i think about that a lot and that's i'm curious to hear more stories about that like like you know the silver lining of covid of course it was awful and i know people that yeah. were very very sick but at the same time you know others it may have kickstarted things that are going to get us to a much brighter future 20 years from now who knows or it won't i don't know maybe it's the opposite i have no idea no i think i you think know? the biggest benefactor of covid is 
the the advancement of mRNA technology and how quickly we can get vaccines up and running. So, yeah. you know, next time, if it's much more deadly, uh, we could hopefully get a kick-ass vaccine out much faster yeah. um, or it kills, you know, a third of the population or something. Yeah, for you know, sure. 10% or something, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You could, you know, I think that's the greatest silver lining is the preparedness we are now for for this stuff going forward. We see how many mistakes the government regular, you know. Hopefully, there's some, you know, the government. I don't have much faith in in government bureaucracies improving or whatever, but I think mm-hmm. there's lots of private businesses out there set up to kind of uh, take advantage, and not take advantage, but just handle and support, you know, in a in a profitable way for them. The the way to for the you know world to handle the next epidemic. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. Um, let's uh, shift gears a little bit to to Tesla and, and what's been going on here in the, in the last couple of weeks. I saw um, you've been talking with Dave about it and some I've been watching some of your videos as well on your YouTube channel. Uh, seems like this week uh, starting, I guess, yesterday or I can't even remember what what is it today? Wednesday? I don't even know what day it is. Uh, I think yeah. it's Wednesday. Um, <laughs> What uh? So how how are you interpreting the moves this week for for Tesla? It seems like we're back to almost. If I'm looking at the ticker now, eleven hundred bucks. We're up three point two percent. Um, yeah. Talk me through what what you think is going on. It's always a good day to do these chats when Tesla's up, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, eleven hundred bucks right now, about as we're talking, and um, I think uh, Tesla the gross margins. Um, surprise in Q4. You know, I think that's a that was a huge data point, and I think most of us who are kind of in the know on Tesla realize that that wasn't just a one quarter one off. That this quarter the gross margins are going to be probably comparable, if not better. You mm-hmm. know, but I would just be conservative, say comparable. Um, but uh, if comparable even to last quarter, I think that's a good sign for Tesla in terms of institutional managers who you know will think much higher of Tesla being a money printer going forward versus uh, just a you know a grower of of uh, bit revenue but without rev- without uh, margins you know so yep. I-, I think I think there's going to be kind of a institutional perception shift going on with Tesla that's you know started. You know, several quarters ago, and it's continuing. It takes a, wh- a while for that to happen fully. Um, but I don't know if you remember, but when there was the S and P inclusion, there was a, a number of outspoken institutional money managers or fund managers, and that's you know not typical necessarily for these institutional portfolio managers to be outspoken. But there was a, a, a several articles I remember seeing where they were like saying Tesla should not be included. This be it's not. I remember that. Ready, blah blah blah. And so there was still a lot of minds to change. You could tell back then, right? And so I think there's over time there's less and less minds of institutional money managers to change. That Tesla is a you know very important company for the future of the stock market and for the future of society in a lot of ways. You know, it's, yeah. it's here to stay. It's not some kind of like flash in the pan company. You know, so I, I think that this this kind of mind changing is happening, and over the next. You know, several months. Uh, if Tesla, it, I think it will execute. I think the stock. You know, people talk about oh, fifteen hundred dollars stock price. I mean, I could see fifteen hundred dollars by the time <sighs> the earnings comes out in a week or a few weeks. You know, <laughs> like same. People put these. You know, it goes up a hundred bucks in a day. Sometimes I could see two or three days where it's up a hundred bucks, and all of a sudden we're at these fifteen hundred dollars price targets. We're like, what next? You know. Yeah. So, but anything could happen. Like you know, if the macro market. Um, collapses again with growth in tech stocks tesla will go down to some degree with it uh mm-hmm. i think it's got a good backstop 
with the earnings and um, so it can't get more than cut in half in my mind. Um, but at the same time, I think it could triple from here this year, potentially best, best case, you know, but yeah. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but you know, I, I think we've, we we kind of bounce between, you know, 800 and 2000. That's my best guess for this year. Yeah. But I'm not sure. What do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I think the way I think about it is it's, it's going to be hard to ignore Tesla's capability to generate cash this year, just because yeah. you'll have Berlin and Austin ramping, they won't be fully ramped because, you know, they're I think if, if they're trying to reach their the goals, they're, they're saying it's going to take them a couple of years to get to that maximum level of at least to, to get to the number. But regardless, the, the product that's going to be coming out of those facilities, as as everybody in the Tesla commuter knows, it's with the operating leverage, the margin is going to go down to, to the net income line. It's going to be a huge boost to to how much uh, cash you generate every quarter. I just don't see how that gets ignored from from this point forward. You know, it, it seems it's going to be so obvious. Uh, yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but it's it, it's going to appear very obvious for folks. And the way I think about it is okay. So if that if that happens, and and you and, and the investment community feels that their growth trajectory is still in the you know fifty percent range year over year for the next few years as they grow into their 20 million car goal by 2030. Um, yeah. And they're able, and, and it's obvious that anytime they throw up a new factory, it's just going to dump a bunch of cash to the bottom line. Um, yeah. I think I think that lays the foundation for the company to become the most valuable in the world uh, at some point in the next couple of years. I think the, the, the biggest variable that takes it there, and, and I made a video about this, but it's if full, if full self-driving also starts getting to that point where, you know, if because right now I feel like the price has zero percent full self driving built in the way the way I think about it uh, that's sort of my opinion I have no idea how to how to confirm that or not but that's how yeah, I think yeah, about yeah. it okay. um, but if if twenty percent of the population starts believing or, or the market or the people that invest in the company believe that full self driving it's going to become a real thing I think that's the key variable that says okay Tesla has a foundation of tremendous cash generation super solid fundamentally oh and they have this literal this this uh industry changing technology that once they flip it on it's going to completely change the economics around transportation right as soon as that becomes an, an obvious thing i think that's that that's where tesla truly goes to most valuable company in the world and i don't know if that's i don't know if that's going to happen later this year i don't know if that's going to happen next year but once full self-driving becomes obvious i think the the three thousand four thousand Five thousand? I, I don't know, but yeah. I, I just have a hard time understanding why that wouldn't happen. I, I'm curious to yeah. you, how, how does that sound? Does that sound like a like a logical way of approaching it? No, it sounds logical. I think there's a lot less liquidity the higher price points you go on Tesla as full self driving comes to fruition. Because yeah, I think like you said, as full self driving becomes more obvious to everyone. Then you have uh, more Tesla um, portfolio manager, you know, portfolio managers that hold Tesla and retail investors, obviously too. But you have more of those people that say, "Hey, I would not sell Tesla until it gets to become the most valuable company in the world or above that." You know, they, right now they might think, "Oh, I'll sell it at fifteen hundred or two thousand. Mm. But as the price gets, you know, as full self driving becomes more apparent, they'll move their internal expectations of how big Tesla can become. And that means they're less willing to sell their shares of Tesla. Okay. And so the new people whose minds are being changed and have to get a piece of Tesla to you know not miss out, they're going to have to keep buying at higher and higher prices. So I think that you're right. I think that 
it's sort of, you know, when it stays range bound for a while, you know, there's a lot of you know, a flood of buyers and sellers, a lot of liquidity, you know, but when you break out of that range, because there's some new developments going on, we get to like $1,500 plus, suddenly the stock can move up and kind of get re-rated or whatever, yeah. so to speak, pretty quickly and go up like a thousand bucks in like a week or two, you know, yeah. like, and I could see that happening, you know, like who's going to sell you know, that, you know, the hundred thousand shares that portfolio manager A needs to now buy once Tesla breaks 1500 because full self-driving level four is obvious, you know, like who's going to sell them that hundred thousand shares. And there's going to be a number of those kind of institutional buyers, you know, and I just think that number of institutional buyers is going to be greater than the number of institutional sellers at that point at that price level. And that's going to create the price to just go further up. Cause there's still a lot of minds to be changed as we, yeah. you know, talked about from that Tesla Q, uh, Twitter space. Yeah. We went on, you know, there's still a lot of people still in disbelief or very skeptical of Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. But even, even when I talk, you know, I listen to like, um, like a Dan Ives who I really respect, you know, uh, uh, um, who's the, uh, who's the French gentleman. I forget his name. Pierre. I Pierre. think. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I love his accent. I freaking love that yeah. man so much is the way he talks is so awesome. Um, yeah. but even those folks, it doesn't seem like they, they really built full self-driving true potential into their model. So even yeah. the, the folks that see, appear to be, strong bulls from a, um, like a, like the general market, not the retail investors, but the other side of it, even those folks don't seem like they're really given full self-driving a value until they see it with their own two eyes with, I think it, it, it's a fair way of looking at it, but yeah, um, and they don't know how to model it. They don't have the spreadsheet model right. for it. Yeah. You know, our investors so kind of tried to explore it in their analysis, which is good. And yeah, but yeah, I think you're right. A lot of the normal, auto analysts, they need spreadsheet, they have their spreadsheet process and they just don't, yeah. <laughs> it breaks their process. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Same with the Tesla prospects of the Tesla bot. They don't know how to right. model that, what that would do in the future, but they don't really go that far out typically anyway. They just go a couple of years out. Yeah. And and then the other variable for full self-driving too, and I don't know if, if you agree with this, but it seems like as the technology becomes more and more apparent and, and obvious, uh, Elon has said that you know, they're going to look to increase the price as, as it becomes more and more obvious that it's going to be transformational. It's going to, it's going to work. Right. But then as that price keeps going up, demand should also increase along with that because it's going to be so transformational as well for, you know, people that just don't want to drive anymore businesses that want to run fleets, um, older folks that, you know, can't have access to like, like a, a car or whatever to get around. It's going to enable a brand new market. God knows how many other things you might have people living on the road 24 seven in an RV that drives itself. Right. Yeah. Like they never have to sit anywhere. So like, that's yeah. a, I, like, has that happened before where something uh, that becomes extremely uh, in high demand also becomes way, way more valuable over time. And like, I'm wondering like, what is that dynamic going to do to the company? It's, I don't know if, does that make any sense? Is, am I thinking about that correctly? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's something we think about a lot. Uh, and I think lots of us Tesla uh, investors think about like, what's that going to, you know, and Elon has said a few times, it'll be like the largest asset increase in history or right. something. I forget the term we use, but Basically, the whole fleet of Teslas out there, you know, two or three million cars, like over half of them have the full self-driving capability, maybe two million, let's say. So if it happened tomorrow, like two million cars suddenly are like robo-taxi capable and like, what's that mm -hmm. going to do the value of all those cars instead of being, you know, resold for forty or $50,000, now you could fleet operators want to buy them from you for $100,000. Yeah. So I think that's going to become quick, you know, a quick change. It might not happen on in one day like that, but I think over right. the course of a couple months or a few months, as it becomes apparent, these like fleet operating business models are very profitable. 
lots of folks will be reached out to say, hey, just like it's sort of like a miniature version is recently all the used cars. Like people get, my mom had a, gets calls from like her Subaru dealer saying, Hey, we'll buy back your car, you know, for X amount. It's like 10% more than what she bought it for a few years ago, or whatever, you know, cause they could sell it for more. So I think you'll get something like that, but a much more drastic kind of like effort to try to buy up Tesla, use Teslas mm-hmm. from, you know, businesses, maybe it'll be a private equity firms or maybe it'll be Tesla itself, but I think it'll be more likely to be, you know, small businesses or private equity firms or whatever kind of venture firms setting up fleet yeah. operations of robo taxi cars. But the robo taxi thing, like le- level four to level five could be, a, you know, I'm kind of it, level five is when the car could drive itself without anyone in it. Right. And mm-hmm. level four is like when the car can drive itself, but you're still kind of need to sit in it, mm-hmm. you know, um, just to take over once in a blue moon when it gets in trouble or just legally you need to yep. sit in it too. So I'm kind of torn between level when level four and level five happens. I think level five will happen much sooner in like China or some other country. You know, I think in, in the U S uh, there'll be pushback in politics that cause it to kind of be a little delayed yeah. after level four is reached. But I think the change in technology from level four to level five is not, is going to be quick. Like the c- capability for level four is almost there. Yeah. And then moving it to level five capable technology, an extra zero or two on the nines or an extra nine or two on how probably, you know, I don't think, I think that could happen quickly within a year from there, you yeah. know, but I think, I think there'll be some countries that kind of like go all in on the level five technology quickly just to advance their economy. Yeah, I, I, man, it's like whenever I sit down, I really think about that true potential. I, I get scared. I really get scared because I'm like, is this too good to be true? Because the, the way it impacts the, 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 the financial like capability of Tesla to generate cash or profits seems so unlike anything we've ever seen before. Whereas I'm like, like I literally will plug in and I play around 10 million cars you know, 30% on fleet generating yes. X numbers, market cap, 30 trillion. I'm like, okay, wait a second. This can't be right. And then I'll tri- <laughs> double check, triple check. I'll use lower yeah. PEs, higher PEs. I'm like, there's no way, but like, yeah. I don't know. Is that, it, I don't know. I, I struggle with that. Do you struggle with that? Like, do you doubt yourself constantly with Tesla's valuation in the future? <laughs> Cause I do that all the time. Yeah. It just seems unreal. It does <laughs> seem unreal. Uh, I mean, I think it it will get there. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's a healthy exercise to go through because it helps reinforce like belief system and Tesla being convicted on it. And when it's down 20%, just make sure you realize, hey, this is the long game. I'm in here for the long, you know, I agree hundred percent though. Those models, when you take them out five or 10 years, it's ridiculous looking at the numbers. That's why I always love to look at the competition to see if there's any competition that could be somewhat comparable to Tesla, but I don't see it. Okay. Yeah, I agree. If there's one thing you could change about Tesla today, what would it be? That's a great question. Um, one thing I could change about Tesla today, what would it be? I think it would be that they should give out, you know, fully functioning, working game controllers with their cars. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've had a little bit of a struggle personally. I'm not a gamer anymore. I used to be when I was younger, but I got kids now. I mean, they play like Nintendo switch or whatever, but I don't have like the Xbox or the PlayStation. I don't even know what controller I tried to get like an Xbox controller. I figured out I found out after getting it, that the wireless controller doesn't work Mm. uh, with my Tesla latest Tesla. And then I had to get some kind of third party adapters to order, but I can't figure out how to get them to work. And then someone (laughs) else said, just get the wired one. I got the wired one, but I don't even want too lazy to like, unpackage it to figure out where the wires even go since oh I'm dunking my car everywhere. So it's just like, man, I wish they just gave me a controller when the car came out, you know, like, couldn't yeah. I just have a controller? Like there's so many cool games. Like, and I have, you know, my kids could play it. Like when I'm running to the store, 
but I got to figure out, I got to allocate like a half hour of time to like try to get it to work now more, you know, at some point soon, just to like plug it in and have a good setup. But yeah, yeah I think, th- I think they could really, you know, the gaming thing is cool and I would like to appreciate it more other than the touchscreen stuff, which mm. you can do and it's fun, but like to do the cooler games, you really want to be able to use the controller and two player games and such. And my kids would love it. Yeah. And and maybe they could like put some of the games in the, in the backseat screen, like some, some easy games or something, some very simple games that kids could mess with too. That'd be cool. I right. think they're planning to probably do that, but maybe it hasn't been rolled out yet. That, that's the only thing I would say at this point. I mean, service also, I think their service, they're growing so fast, right? And yeah. the best service is not needing any service. And I think that's the case most of the time for Tesla, but yeah. There have been a few times, you know, the service has been great, but there's a few times where it's like really difficult to get in touch with Tesla, you know, even just following up on my Model X reservation. I don't even know who to follow up with my solar roof. You know, when I follow, I don't, you know, no, it's hard to find someone accountable that will like give you me their email address, even direct email. You know, it's just like, you know, they're growing so fast. So I understand I worked at Interactive Brokers. We were growing fast and service was always an issue. Um, but it doesn't mean it can't be solved with accountability, a good system of accountability, you know, where you have some person kind of that has to feel accountable for, you know, each issue that comes in, there's a person as opposed instead of just being delegated to a group, you yeah. know, where there's each person that makes up the group, you know, they don't feel accountable individually to each service thing. But I think there's better ways to do service, even in a fast growing company. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I, I came from the service world at Tesla. I was there for four years, you know, on the service supply chain side and distribution. And I agree with you 100%. I think, I think initially, while Tesla was getting ramped up and they were making sure that they could generate profits so that they can keep the co- company going. Uh, all of the attention should have been focused on manufacturing. That's what they did. The one thing I noticed is as, as it became clear that they were going to be profitable, I did see to, I started seeing some more focus on the supply chain side and the service side. So I saw a little bit more resources being handled there. Some of the projects started getting approved a little bit easier that we wanted to get done. Um, but it's also like, I also know Tesla's trying to balance that with, well, what is the sort of that first principles approach of like, okay, where, what should service look like? And let's just do that. And to your point is, uh, best service is no service, but you still have a fleet of cars that, that doesn't apply to necessarily because it takes time to get there. So, um, I agree with you hundred percent. I think, I think it seems like they've gotten better, um, but uh, there, I'm sure there's still uh, room to improve, and and I'm right there with you because I, I mean, I've owned multiple Teslas. I remember the one time I got into an accident; I had to wait like uh, two, three months for for a part. You know, that was a yeah. that hurt. Yeah. You know, but that's yeah. You know, it's part of that. Yeah. So I'm hoping as it be- I become more and more profitable, more of that focus will shift, or more resources will be freed up to sort of help that yeah. side of the business. And I think videos like these, if anybody at Tesla's watching. They're still, you know, let's 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 see if we can do something a little bit better on that side as well. Because I got a funny story about the service thing. If you guys like an Elon yeah, story, actually, of course. So, so in 2013, I think I was one of the first people on the East Coast to get like a Model S. You know, maybe the first couple hundred bins on the East Coast to get a Model S or whatever. And my friend, the IT friend, he had one too, and uh, it was like the greatest car. It was like maybe it was beginning of 2014 or end of. Or 2013, I can't remember. I think it was the beginning of 2013. Yeah, the 2012 it debuted in June of 2012 around my first kid's birthday. I remember. So, like six months later, they started making their first deliveries to the East Coast, and I got my car in like January, February of 2013. I was driving; it was great. It was like the snow, even great in the snow. Just rear wheel drive was like better than my old Subaru. I had way before that, and I was just so impressed. I had it for like two or three weeks, and then all of a sudden, 
it didn't turn on and turn on one morning. And I was like, what the heck? And I, I couldn't like get to work. And I was like, called Tesla. They're like, oh, we'll get you an enterprise rental car. We'll pay for it. Don't worry. We'll send our technician out to, you know, take a look and, and fix it no time. So, um, so I got the Tesla rental car. It was or the enterprise rental car. It was like a Honda Accord or Civic or something like that. And I was like, fine. All right. And then like a week went by, like the Tesla, uh, person went out and checked it out and like called me and was like, yeah, we're going to call in a part and get it fixed. And like a week went by and no follow-up another week went by. I'm trying to follow up with them. They're not following up with me. And it's like, what the heck after two or three weeks, I'm like, man, this is the best car. Like, I don't want to be driving a Honda civic all the time. Even though Tesla's paying for it. I want to drive my model S what do I do to like escalate to get in touch and get this escalated? I didn't know who management was or whatever. So I was like at my company, people guess the founder's email address sometimes and send them an email and things get done, you know? So I guessed yeah. Elon's email address in 2013 and he was famous then. He had maybe a couple million Twitter followers, you know, but he wasn't uber famous like he is now. Right. You know? And so I guessed his email, sent a thoughtful email like, hey, you know, there's, I know there's part shortages or whatever, but it's been a few weeks. I'm not getting an answer. They keep telling me in a few days it'll be fixed, but it's been a few weeks now. And I'm just disappointed because it was such a great car. And sure enough, like 10 minutes later, I get a call from like the Queens, New York service manager, which is like an hour and a half drive from where I am, you know, in Fairfield County, Connecticut. And he says, hey, uh, we're going to send a tow truck up tonight to pick up your car. We're going to bring it to our shop and switch it out with a part. We have a car in here and, and bring it back to you tomorrow working. I was like, oh, awesome. Dang, that is <laughs> and awesome. I was so excited. <laughs> and I was like, that worked, you know. And then Elon emailed me back like 20 or 30 minutes later, really thoughtful response, you know. And we ended up going back and forth an email for like a few weeks, actually. It was it was incredible. That's I awesome. Emails for my uh my grandkids one day. That's <laughs> like, so good. This is the King of Mars. He sent me these emails <laughs> way back, you know? Uh, and so make it into a T NFT. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know, but I'm just, I, it's just so cool, you know? And that's uh, great. Yeah. So it was a really cool story. And, uh, you yeah. know, um, but that's how I got my service worked out quickly. And then more recently yeah. I had like a tire issued my plaid that I have and the tire got flat and, brought it they towed, towed it to service and they didn't have a tire and it was just a few days i'm like well, it's just a flat tire what's going on and it was mm -hmm. like oh i don't know i didn't have a car you know it's yeah. just my wife's car we had one car and i think i said something on twitter like yeah i'm just wondering when i i don't know i didn't like complain to complain but then sure enough like a few hours later i got a call like hey we got your tire but i feel like i use my twitter cloud or something to get service then so mm. i feel you know i feel like there's people that get stuck in the service if they don't know how to escalate things they can mm -hmm. it could be a bad experience occasionally but you yeah. know on, on the other side i've had like four or five other flat tires over the years and it gets fixed like immediately a tow truck driver tesla driver comes and fixes immediately it's just the you know the one-offs that can be a real problem yeah. Yeah, it's inconsistency, right it's it's one of those things where cons i think consistency is built with time and sort of experience and and that's at least from my experience that that's usually what helps those situations. That's the the, the whole back and forth with Elon with the email. I can't even imagine the the, the manager probably got an email directly from e Elon forwarded to him, and he's like, "Please <laughs> yeah. do this now." And the guy's like, "Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably." Oh, I got called this guy. And we got to send a tow truck. Out. I remember when those guys came on the Tesla tow truck that's too. So I remember the, the evening they came out to pick up my car, and I was all excited. I was talking to them, and yeah. I was like. You guys are working at Tesla, you know, stick with the company. It's going to be such a big company. You'll be rich in five or 10 years. Mm. I hope they stuck with it because I yeah. remember thinking like these guys are like probably like, you know, bottom of the totem pole workers at Tesla doing tow truck work. And I was just hope I knew that I was trying to tell them like, hey, this is the greatest company. I don't know if yeah, you know yeah. it or not, but this company is going to explode and you're in a great position. And 
Yeah. yeah, it's just incredible. Like, yeah, that's so great. That is such a great story, man. Um, uh, still got you for 15 minutes. Is that is that still okay? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious now. Like, um, I want to sort of shift gears a little bit more. Actually, I wanted to ask you this before. What? So you said you used to play games. Uh, you were you were gaming a little bit when you were younger. What what sort of games did you play? Oh man, I I was uh, the number one game. I loved a lot of role playing games like Final Fantasy and stuff like that. I also liked a lot of strategy games. Like there was this company K O E I that like these cool like board game strategy games are almost like you're like a Chinese dynasty and you take over other Ooh. Chinese dynasties or what. It was cool. It was like early games like um you know civilization today or whatever you would call it i guess sure and like early game you know before warcraft there was games that were like earlier and i would get into those you know simpler versions of that and i would love those games um but i really love i really fell in love with street fighter 2 okay of course yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was yeah. a tekken I really guy i like tekken it. a lot oh tekken was later yeah, I, yeah once i got so i invested so much time to get good and got really good at street fighter 2 i'd go to the arcade one quarter pop it in and there'd be like a, it was when street fighter 2 was really popular i'd be and everyone would challenge me i could play for like an hour like 30 people straight wow you know, with one quarter it was like so cool i feel like so <laughs> important you know i feel so popular so powerful you're like, a legend uh, <laughs> yeah i felt like that i mean i was then i talked to dave lee and apparently he was even better at street fighter 2 because he went to like the state championship for california oh my god <laughs> Yeah, but I, we and him, me and him have joked on some of our chats that we got to do, you know, we got to find a way to play Street Fighter 2 against each other. Just oh, my God. Fun, you know? That would but be that, amazing. That was an awesome game. And then, like, Mortal Kombat came out right after, and it was like, oh, I'm not going to invest a ton of time to learn another game like this. And I just, yeah. but Street Fighter 2 was amazing. Um, and uh, then when I got into college, like, by the time I got into college, there was, like, James Bond, like, the multiplayer games. James yeah. Bond was, like, one of those first shooter games where you could be, yeah. like, on 64, right? Before. Yeah, 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 that was awesome. And there was like secret rooms and some of the levels you could yeah, hide yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It was cool. Goldeneye, I think it was. Like, yeah. Yeah, Goldeneye. That was yeah. the name of it. Yeah, that was really cool. Mario Kart, obviously. And I also was a huge Madden football fan. I loved Madden football. Mm. You know what's funny is, you know, you had the online gaming, but the first version of online gaming, Sega, I think it was Sega Genesis, had this thing called the, the X Band. And it was like, it must have been in like 19, I was, I think, in like eighth grade, seventh grade. So it must have been like 1993 or 94. And it was like the first online gaming with like Sega Master System. You put on this X band, it was like a dial up modem, and you play someone else on like Madden football or something. It was really cool over Whoa. the internet. It was like the first version of that stuff. And I remember having that, and it was like super cool. And Street Fighter 2, I remember in Super Nintendo when it came out with it, we, my friends and I, we ordered the Super Famicom version, which is the which was the Japanese version of Super Nintendo called Super Famicom. Mm. And it came out there like a year or two years before it came out in the U.S. We had to get like a Super Famicom adapter for your Nintendo 64 or whatever. And then we got it. We had it like the legitimate Street Fighter 2 version on our Nintendo at home, like a year or two before everyone else. It was so cool. All our friends would always want to come over and play it because mm. we, we, you know, my friends and I always were into like cheat codes of like uh, getting those game, game pro or like, you know, what was electronic? I don't know. There's always cool magazines. Did you ever, were you into gaming back oh, then? Oh, yeah, too? huge. I was, yeah. Uh, I just got to say, the one image I have in my mind now is like this very wise Dave Lee that we know now, like back in the day, just <laughs> shedding on people on Street Fighter. It's like, yeah. that's the image I have in my head. Yeah. yeah. He said he was like, like a, he was like, a, went to the state championships. Of that's California. so badass. I was like, man, I thought I could beat him. And then when he told me that, I was like, I thought about it. I was like, you know, he's probably kicked my butt. Yeah. But, 
you know, maybe I would. You gotta try, man. You never know. You guys gotta play. You gotta. Yeah. You gotta it's funny. It out. I got it on my Nintendo Switch uh, recently, and I played it a couple times. But the controller's not the same, you know. Yeah. You know, but I went online to play like two times. I was so rusty. I was getting my butt kicked probably by some young kid. But like, there's some man. delay too online. Like with those fighting games, I feel like fighting that like playing online defeats yeah. the purpose because even that 50 millisecond lag is like everything because that's like a yeah. counter you missed right there. You know? Yeah. It's very, yeah, very true. different. Yeah. And I need like the joystick where you're like, you know, like at yeah. the arcade almost where you have the joystick, like it's, it's more precise. Yeah, I tried to get the joystick um, version of the Nintendo Switch. Actually, I ordered that too. It was like thirty bucks. But okay. even when you put that down, you can't like. Every time I move it with my grown up arms, it like moves the whole joystick. <laughs> to inside. I'm like, this isn't working. <laughs> you know, I got like nail it or something to make it work. Oh so, my god! I don't know. It's That's funny. so funny. It, just as a grown up, it's so much harder to to you know do video games. My kids yeah. are really into like Minecraft and Roblox. And okay, I started playing this game called Minecraft Dungeons with my kids. It was fun, a fun, fun little bonding experience. It's like a That's four player awesome. game. Yeah, what are you do you play games much anymore? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, I still play a little bit. I try to I try to like keep with that side of my childhood. So I I, I was like a big um so I grew up on Sonic and then I really got oh, into yeah. PC gaming. So I did a lot of like Counter-Strike, World of Warcraft, Warcraft 3, Red yeah. Alert, Age of Empires, like that was like my jam. Yeah. And and when we described that Chinese Dynasty board game, like Age of Empires is like sort of that yeah, strategy. Like that so fun yeah. uh, i love those games yeah if i was like if those hit me at the right age i would have been so much more addicted to even those but yeah i think i was a few years before those started coming out when i was really into the game and stuff gotcha yeah um it was it was such a such a blast and i still play so i i just got uh, age of empires 4 it came out recently so i kind of got back into that i picked up uh chess i do i try to play like chess online and get my ass kicked you know by a bunch yeah, of like super too, smart people I like yeah. it too. I'm not that good, but I like playing. I like playing yeah. like the 14 day games where you have like two weeks to make a move and I have multiple things on. I, mm. you know, sometimes on the toilet, I look at my chess.com for five <laughs> minutes and I pick my yeah. moves and then, yeah, you know, I play my dad. Yeah. And it's, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good time. Yeah. It's, 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 um, and, and what's interesting too, like, so the, the whole Roblox thing, um, cause you're invested in Roblox, right? It's that's one of yeah. your, you're, you seem very high on it. So do you see sort of that, um, it, it, like, are we transitioning towards a future where more and more people are going to be gaming? And that's why you're so high on that uh, platform. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that a little bit. I don't know if, if I, I'm sure you've talked yeah. about it before, but I'm curious uh, if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah. No, the, the, the way I see Roblox is sort of a platform itself, sort of like the app store for the iPhone was a platform, you know, yeah. I see Roblox is sort of a platform for developers to build content. And sometimes the content is in the form of games or sometimes just some social online experience. Um, but whatever the content is, they're incentivized to build the best content to attract the most people. And that means of the tens of millions of daily active users of Roblox, they're going to play the coolest content and the people that make the coolest content are going to make the most money and incentivized to make cooler content. So you have this kind of flywheel effect where mm. you get more content, more users, more users, more content, more content, more users keeps going. And Roblox gets a little piece of that all the time, just like Apple gets a piece of all the app store revenue. Right. Mm. So I think Roblox is so far ahead in that game and they built the ecosystem or one blogger who I follow calls it the company town, I guess, model, not like an ecosystem. Um, or a walled garden or whatever. Um, so I think they built that infrastructure, that ecosystem or company town, whatever you want to call it in such a really, um, a well, a really well run way where they have their own programming language. 
They have, uh, you know, their own little economy going on. Um, the software is, you know, this cloud base that works on all kinds of devices the same way. Um, and so it's very frictionless. Like I play Roblox with my kids occasionally, um, or, but it's so simple. Anyone with an iPad or even an iPhone, you could just put the app on, touch the button. And instantly, if you know your grandkids, Username, type it in and start enjoying some kind of online experience with them, whatever they're doing instantly. You don't yeah. have to have like, you know, some people talk about Steam or this new thing called Sandbox, which is like a crypto version of it. But those things are all like have a lot of friction, you know, like number one, they're kind of Steam, especially like I tried doing that on my computer, right? you know, a few uh, years ago when I first got Oculus, I tried to get some like off games on Steam and I couldn't figure out like how to, I'm not a programmer. I don't know what like an INI file is or whatever these files, you know, I just like Google every little thing. And like, after a long time, I figured out like one step of improvement. I was like, oh, okay, I figured that out. But it's just like, you know, if you're not a programmer or developer, like it's hard to use some of these other things. And and I think Roblox has a, a much more frictionless experience. And Got it. I think they have such a huge population of content already that it just seems like no one's going to compete with them. Got it. So the barrier of entry to that to that um, sort of environment or platform is is extremely low. That it makes for, for both the creator and the user uh, yeah. uh, side. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, I gotta look yeah. more to that. Even, yeah, and my kids are even learning the Roblox uh, coding language. They're enjoying. They're building their own little worlds, and you have lots of oh. kids apparently, you know, as a hobby, kind of trying to build their own cool stuff. It's like a great way to educate them on programming or coding, you know, and and. Uh, it, it's really cool. Yeah, I, th I think it's really neat what they're doing. I think it's, uh, I like the founder um, and their mission. They've been at it for a long time. Well, and uh, yeah, I, I think the medium to long-term future of Roblox is strong. You know, I, I just don't know who's who's going to compete. Like anytime some other cool game comes out, whether it's Among Us, which you probably heard of, or mm -hmm. some other cool game, then immediately someone, Robo a Roblox developer can basically create an identical version and call it something slightly different, you know? And so wow. that happens. So whatever cool content comes out just gets reproduced basically at Roblox immediately. Even when like Netflix has Squid Game, like the most popular thing, within like a week, all of a sudden there's a Squid Game game on Roblox that became super popular. Wow. And sometimes if they call it the same thing, they have to get like a licensing right and they do that. But even if they don't get the license, they can call it something similar and everyone kind of knows what it is anyway. You know, it's like, it's just, um, I don't know, Roblox just seems to be unstoppable to me. That seems, I mean, that that's brilliant. That's that's a brilliant model that they've built there. It's like they gamified coding in a way, and then it's also yeah. like, and by doing that, you're building this incredible base of developers that would have never probably been able to make games, and a small percentage of those folks are probably creating some brilliant stuff that we've never seen before. You know? Yeah. No, brilliant. it's all about the developers. There's even teams of developers funded by venture capitalists creating like much more <laughs> impressive games on Roblox. It's wow. like, I've thought about looking up some of these, uh, these companies kind of built, you know, formed just for building content on Roblox and trying to fund them myself just to, I think it's a, a big future. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I know we're, we're coming up on time here, so I just want to uh, throw you one more question, Emmett. And usually sure. I like to end these with like a more philosophical, like, you know, trying to like really get into the, the mind of how, how somebody thinks about uh, sort of the world. Uh, what, what do you think is humanity's purpose? Ooh, uh, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I know. I, I've been thinking a lot about Elon's philosophy on this is to to find his is like to find out the question where the answer is the universe. And I guess he gets that from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's interesting. Um, I think humanity's purpose might be 
almost to not know what humanity's purpose is, but to experience free will and do it with it what you may, you know, and um, whether or not it's judged or not, I don't know, but we don't know. That's our purpose. Our purpose is almost not to know. And then just then we can truly experience free will in some, in some respects, right? Without, if we knew what the purpose was, then you almost have some of your decisions programmed into you based on that purpose. Right. So I think there's something to it with, 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 with that. Um, But you know, it's, it's very kind of scary and freeing at the same time. Brilliant. Wow. Yeah. I, I tend to think along those lines as well. It's like, what, and that's 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 the journey i'm on right it's like i'm trying to figure out like what why are we all here but i'm finding that that process is so enjoyable you know it's like i, yeah. I get to yeah. this cha- like channel i'm building is part of that journey i want to talk to more people and connect with more folks uh that are part of a community that i really love but i feel like and i'm trying to do that with like the intent of like what what's the answer to this whole thing like why am i here but then that process has been so rewarding already that I'm like, I don't even care if I find out what it's all about. As long as I get to do this, like, why would you want to know kind of thing, you know, yeah. But, yeah. but I'm sure it'll evolve as time goes along and um, it'll evolve. Yeah. yeah. We'll never truly know until you're dead. And then when you're dead, we don't know what the heck happened, yeah. right? but you cross over to some either non-existence or something that you yeah. can't come back from. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if like in the future, there'll be like a business of people uh, creating near death experiences like artificial like you know drugs can do stuff like supposedly do that but maybe there'll be businesses where like you can actually make someone physically die with a very high likelihood of resuscitating them like 99.9 percent likelihood but you make them die for a few minutes their heart starts being everything and then you can with the 99.9 percent you can resuscitate them back and you know people will kind of venture into like what the heck's going on when we die you know I oh wonder my if god this case for that in the future i kind of i'm curious that would be wild the insurance policy <laughs> for that business is probably the most initially it would be, <laughs> initially it would be really hard yeah, yeah. But, wow uh, and you know it would be kind of cool i don't know if i'd do it or not but yeah. if you had like a 99.9 percent, you had you know thousands of people do it you know at some point in my life i'd probably try that yeah fascinating stuff Emmett. thank you so much for your time i really appreciate uh, you coming on i i had a blast if you ever want to come back yeah, on too. dude like i would i would love you to have have you back yeah. at any time we're gonna have you on our channel at some time we have a little channel that's budding of content we, we do some interviews we've been doing a lot of like i mean we, we there's so many tesla bulls out there but we can interview about other things i feel like we kind of on our channel we vote we're trying to get a variety of things, but we, we've hmm. interviewed so many Tesla bulls, but we'd love to talk to you about just life in general and your experience at Tesla and yeah. such if you're open to it. Sometime. I'd love to. Yeah, absolutely. And anytime, man. Yeah, man. Um, have a great rest of your day. Thank you everybody for watching and All we'll right. see you in the Thanks. next one. All right, Emmett. Thank okay. you so much, man. Really appreciate you. All right. Thanks. Take buddy. it easy. Bye-bye.